bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. This is the Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021 podcast. In many ways, green energy funding is the centerpiece of President Joe Biden's Build Back Better framework, the framework that was released last week. In releasing the framework, the president listed four goals, and I quote, set the United States on course to meet its climate goals, create millions of good paying jobs, enable more Americans to join and remain in the labor force, and grow our economy from the bottom up and the middle out. Now, funding for green energy helps advance all four of these goals. So it's no surprise that the framework, if enacted, would provide about $550 billion, that's B, billions, billion dollars for green energy investment. While the framework is just that, a framework, legislation was released by the House last week that builds out the framework. Now, it is currently unclear when House Democrats, Senate Democrats, and the President will reach final agreement, and many think it won't be until December. Now, I focus on Democrats as the bill is expected to be enacted via a Senate parliamentary technique that doesn't require any Republican votes, and no Republican votes are expected. With all of this said, the short-term future of expanded funding for renewable and green energy tax incentives has never been brighter. Existing incentives are likely to be expanded and enhanced, new incentives created, and additional funding and structuring approaches adopted. Then again, until legislation is enacted, it remains possible that all could stay the same. Now, amidst this legislative opportunity, the renewable energy world is continuing to, to evolve technologically and in other ways. Today's podcast is going to address both the legislative opportunity as well as other important renewable energy developments. It's also quite fortuitous that during this significant time, dare I say monumental moment for renewable and green energy, the Novogratz 2021 Fall Renewable Energy and Environmental Tax Credits Conference is being held later this week in Washington. The conference will feature many high interest topics, including those we'll discuss today on the podcast. Attendees can participate in the conference in person or virtually. I'll share details later. I do encourage listeners at a minimum to register for the virtual conference. By registering for the virtual conference, you can hear the latest from Washington DC and industry practitioners. And if you miss any sessions, you have three months to sign in and watch them or rewatch sessions that you found particularly useful. But joining me for today's discussion is my partner, Tony Grapponi from our Boston Metro office. Tony is one of our in-house experts on renewable energy, as you'll hear today. He's also chair of this week's conference. Tony has expertise in other areas as well, including affordable housing, historic rehabilitation, and community development. Today's podcast is inspired in part by my column in this month's Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. The title of the column is Six Tips for Renewable Energy Developers. We can't cover all the tips, so I encourage our listeners to check out the column. But we will cover three tips covered in the column. First, we'll talk about the state of the renewable energy tax incentive marketplace and what developers should know concerning market trends. Then we'll discuss repowering, including who should be interested in that option and what they can do to get started. And we'll wrap up by talking about storage, looking at what renewable energy developers need to know and what they should be doing as they consider including storage in their properties. There's a lot to discuss, so if you're ready, let's get started. 
Tony, thank you for joining me on Tax Credit Tuesday. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. I always appreciate being a guest on what I consider to be the best podcast in the tax credit business. Thank you very much. I wonder if that's because it may be the only podcast in the tax credit business. <laughs> really the most focused on tax credits. Yeah. And, and thank you also for the uh, nice plug for the conference this week. So we'll be in Washington, D.C. talking about clean energy. So in the introduction, I did note that we're on the precipice, I, I believe, of a substantial increase in funding for renewable and green energy incentives. What do you think that renewable energy developers should be doing to be more proactive about preparing for potential legislative changes so they could be anticipating them and preparing for them versus reacting to them? Sure, thanks. So first off, they should be reaching out to us. Our clients know that Novogratic, you in particular, others here at the firm like Peter Lawrence, do the best job of tracking potential tax policy changes, not only at the federal level, but also across the states as well. So they should absolutely be looking out, reaching out to us to get up to speed with what they're doing. There's a number of ways they can do that. They can obviously tune into your podcast. They can follow you on Twitter. They can subscribe to our email distribution list. And then they can obviously just go to our website to, to go to our Renewable Energy Resource Center for updates as well. So that's, that's first and foremost. And then a lot of my clients are developers and sponsors, but they're also lenders, investors, consultants, attorneys, et cetera. And they call and first they say, hey, look, Tony, what are you hearing from Mike and Peter in terms of potential changes? From there, I like to pull out my Novogratic crystal ball, if you will, and try to give them a clearer view on the types of policy changes that may have a material impact on their deals. And from there, as they start to feel more confident of certain policy changes, then they usually turn to us and they hire us to run models. We run a lot of tax equity or deal models so that these developers or clients can assess how these policy changes are apt to impact their returns. That's a, a great overview there. And when we were preparing for the podcast today, you did know that you're getting some clients coming to you and saying, let's review our pipeline. And maybe you could discuss uh, a bit of those calls that you're getting and some of the services and the assistance you're providing with clients in anticipation uh, of the legislation. And maybe a bit about why it's not okay just to wait, why there's some reasons to be trying to anticipate now. Exactly. So, you know, savvy developers are looking at their pipeline and not every project in their pipeline is the same. And they're thinking, Okay, sounds like there is the possibility that direct pay may be an option here. That may be part of the new legislation. And so which projects in my pipeline might be an option for say direct pay versus tax credit equity investors. And so they're reaching out to me to help them review that pipeline to figure which projects might be the better fit. Is yeah. that because of when the project's being placed in service? Is it the type of deal? Is it a community solar deal? Is it a utility scale deal? There's a whole set of criteria that they want to sort of evaluate in making that decision. No, that uh, makes sense. Uh, and I know we're also hearing from clients who are looking at the statutory language 
that did come out of the House uh, last week. And bear in mind that the one thing we know for sure about that bill is it won't pass uh, as released. <laughs> there won't be edits to it. Uh, that said, there's every expectation that it will be a substantially similar form, but changes can be notable. But in there, you can get a sense of the potential changes to the various tax incentives that our listeners are working with, as well as the effective dates of those changes. And we have a lot of clients that are focused on how the changes apply generally, and then from an effective date perspective, how they might apply to various developments that are uh, in various portions of the development pipeline. Those are great tips, Tony. There are a lot of possibilities with legislation. And once again, I do encourage our listeners to at least register for the live stream of the conference later this week if you can't go in person. So if you're listening to this a week after we recorded it or later, you can still actually go online and register for the conference, albeit the conference will have been held, but you can watch the recorded sessions. So it's uh, not too late. So Tony, let's step back from the potential expansions and enhancements and new incentives and look at some macro changes to the rubles market. What market trends have you observed in the past year? So, you know, whenever you have these sort of major global events that take place, like the COVID pandemic, and even thinking back to the 2008 banking crisis, these major events can lead to a bit of a paradigm shift in the marketplace. And with respect to renewables, there's two major areas that come to mind. You got the tax equity investor side of things, and then on the other, you've got the developer side. In terms of in terms of tax equity, <clears throat> at the beginning of the pandemic, many tax equity investors either paused or jumped off to the sidelines while they assess how the COVID pandemic was going to affect their tax liability and ultimate tax needs going forward. So that led to a shortage of tax equity supply. Yep. Shortage of tax equity supply leads to higher tax equity investor returns. Those higher returns can lead to luring new investors into the marketplace that weren't there before. And long-term, that's a very good thing. So in the short run, it's obviously a negative that you've got a short supply of tax equity, but hopefully in the long run, we succeed in pulling even new investors from the market. Now, on the developer side, you've got the same sort of number of developers all competing for a smaller pool of tax equity dollars. What are they doing to compete? They're getting more creative. And how do they get more creative? They are looking into emerging technologies, emerging technologies that offer the potential for greater project cash flows. If you're a developer and you're thinking, okay, if my tax equity deal is going to have less tax equity dollars, I want to compensate that by doing projects that might offer more cash flows. Some of these emerging technologies, you know, provide some potential for that. So they're looking at things like fuel cell technologies. They're looking at hydrogen projects. They're looking at battery storage, either on a standalone basis or maybe implemented into a solar or wind facility, all in an effort to get more creative, to create more cash flows. Another trend we're seeing is more M&A. So if you're a bigger solar developer, when you have these global impacts to the economy, you think, oh, a smaller, maybe less well-capitalized project developer may be ripe for acquisition. Okay, so you're seeing more M&A activity. The theory there is bigger is better. If I can buy more projects, if I can buy another company, I will be the bigger company. 
maybe that makes me more appealing to the fewer tax equity providers in the marketplace. So really you're seeing developers trying to get more creative by bringing in newer technologies and increasing the M&A deal volume in the marketplace. Maybe you could uh, speak a bit about the supply challenges that renewable developers were experiencing during the pandemic and still. So, you know, in the news, generally in the news, we're hearing about global supply chain issues across all markets, right? And renewable energy is no exception to that. And so we've been dealing with supply chain issues with major components like turbines, blades, and solar. It's the modules, the inverters. These things generally come from overseas. We have longer lead time items there. Those lead times can lead to higher cost of goods. It can lead to projects being placed in service on a delayed basis. All those things have sort of financing implications. Uh, some components like batteries, I know we'll get into batteries a bit more later in the podcast, but batteries is a good example of one key component that has experienced even greater levels of supply chain issues. There's an increased demand just in the renewable energy sector for batteries, okay? But you've also got the EV market, the electrical vehicle market. Auto manufacturers are implementing lithium-ion batteries into cars more than ever. And so just the demand, the global demand for battery storage technologies has led to that particular component experiencing even greater supply chain issues. And sort of more to that, to date, there have been sort of few suppliers of battery technologies that have had the sort of like the patents to supply those components. What we're hearing is that there are some new suppliers of lithium ion batteries that are getting through a patent process. The word on the street is you could see some new suppliers come to market and hopefully easing some of those supply chain issues with batteries. And and, and maybe that also leads to maybe an easing of pricing as well. No, that would be a uh, great to see. So let, now let's pivot to a couple of topics I did cover in this month's Novograd Journal of Tax Credits, two of the tips that I provided. One was repowering, one was storage, as you mentioned, talking about batteries. But let's start with the repowering. I'm not sure how many of our listeners are clear on the concept of repowering, but if you could share with them a high-level explanation of what repowering is and what types of properties that repowering could be most appropriate for. So A good high-level explanation of repowering is this. Think of a facility that's been in operations now for a bunch of years. And you're the developer, and and again, you're trying to get more creative. So you're thinking, how can I use this existing facility to get more cash flows? One of the ways that you can do that is you could potentially replace older, less efficient components with newer more technologically advanced components, if you will, in an effort to increase the power production of that plant. And if you can produce more power, you can generate more cash flow. And so a good example of that is in the wind space. With a wind turbine, a key component is called an nacelle. And a nacelle is a key component of a wind turbine. And, and that's a common component that's used to be replaced as part of a repowering effort, where you might be able to preserve many of the turbine's components by replacing the nacelle, which is a major component in a wind turbine, that's enough to boost the power production in a material manner. So again, it's taking out certain older components and replacing them with more technologically advanced components to boost project cash flows. Now, the primary motivation for doing it is cash flows. But what a lot of developers learn is, if I do this carefully, I might be able to qualify for new tax credits 
So I'm not just going to get more operating cash flows, but new tax credits. And um, to do that, there's a tax analysis that needs to get performed there. It's commonly referred to as the 80-20 test. And the basic math around the 80-20 test is it's a division exercise. Your numerator is the fair value of your used components. And your denominator is the sum of the fair value of your used components plus the cost of your new components. And so when you do that division, you wanna make sure that the fair value of your used property doesn't exceed 20% of the denominator, which again, the denominator, the fair value of used plus cost of new. We provide, uh, a lot of investors look to us to help in that analysis. We do an agreed upon procedures report there. That can be very effective to help prove out whether or not you pass the test or not. Obviously, you need to determine the fair value of your used components. Novogratic, you know, we have an appraisal division, so our appraisers get hired oftentimes to do a fair value assessment of that used property as well as the overall project. We do cost segregation studies. That can be very effective here. We analyze the used components, put them in a separate bucket from the new stuff. That can be very effective too. But one other thing that is super important to do in a repowering exercise is the financial model. If you're going to repower a project, when you replace that wind turbine nacelle, well, your turbine is going to be down. And when it's down, you're not producing power. So you're going to have some lost revenue during your repowering effort. Yep. You need to model out that down power to make sure that you can obviously stay in business. You don't want to lose so much revenue that, that it's a negative repowering exercise. So you need to do that analysis. But then once you're repowered and you're generating all this new power, who are you going to sell it to? Not all power purchase agreements have agreements where the off-taker is obligated to buy 100% of the power. Some PPAs have caps on them where the off-taker is only required to buy a certain amount of the power. What do you do with the extra? Can you sell it back to the grid at merchant power rates? Is there a risk that some of that additional power may not be able to be monetized? So if you're the developer, yes, you want to make sure you qualify for the tax credits. That's a careful analysis. We can help with that, as I indicated. But you want to make sure you understand the economics. What's going to happen with the lost power? What are you going to do with the extra power? You need to look at your loan agreements. Are there lender consents? Are there investor com consents in your operating agreement? So there's really a lot that needs to be looked at there. And because we've done a lot of this, we can help our clients make sure they take into consideration all these important uh, considerations. Let's dig into that a little bit more. If I'm listening to this podcast and I'm a developer and I'm trying to decide if repowering is a good option for me, uh, what do I need to know? Or what should I be doing to make that decision? Yeah. I mean, I think you would, you know, you'd reach out to us and, and you'd first try to get some perspective there. You want to look at your economics. If let's look at your pro forma as is, what are your returns going to look like if you don't do the repowering? And now let's run a parallel model of what's it going to look like once I do that repowering. And we can help them understand the cost of the new facility, the amount of additional tax equity they could raise and all those sorts of things. It sort of starts with the model. Now that makes sense. And then if the model shows some potential, then there's a series of additional steps. Beyond wind, are there other areas or other types of facilities where you're seeing repowering as a viable option? Great question. So it's primarily been in the wind space and then some other PTC technologies like biomass. But we're starting to hear, it's probably a little too early in the solar side for people to really be digging in deep on thinking about repowering. But in the last year, 
we have had folks from the solar side saying, hey, is this an option for us? Can we do this? And what does that analysis look like? So I think you're going to see the solar community digging in deeper on repowering strategies going forward. There's, pro- there's still probably, it's probably still on the front end of that thinking, but something to look out for there. The other thing that came up in the last year is it used to be when it came to repowering, it used to be the developers would wait until they were well beyond the 10-year PTC period. But in this past year, as developers tried to get even more creative, they were even looking into ways that they could, it doesn't make sense to repower even before the end of the initial 10-year PTC period. So developers are clearly trying to get more creative out there. So thanks for that explanation about repowering. Now let's talk about an issue that in some ways has probably been the hottest topic in renewable energy over the past several years, and even not just renewable energy. Because this is definitely a crossover technology. Large parts of Texas would have loved to have had storage facilities to avoid some of the energy challenges that they had. So it is a, a universal technology. If you could share with our listeners how storage has changed the game in green energy over the past several years. So focus on renewable energy at first, and then we'll kind of broaden it out. Um, right. But you think about a solar plant, right? A solar plant generates power when the sun is shining. And a lot of the power contracts are designed to sell power based off of time of demand charges. Pre-pandemic, most people are at the office working during the daytime. So the solar plant's generating all this electricity when nobody's at home. Nobody's turning on the TV and flicking on the light switches while they're at the office. But that's when the power plant's generating the electricity. If you're a solar developer, you'd rather store that energy during the daytime when it's being generated and then release it and sell it when everybody comes home and starts turning on the lights because that time of demand charge at nighttime is going to be higher when everybody comes home and starts using their appliances than it is during the daytime when they're all idle. Things like that. If you're selling to a a residential customer, that's like an example of how a time of demand charge is higher at night. So developers have long wanted battery technologies part of their projects so that they can optimize their revenue streams to sell the power they produce at off-peak times and sell it at peak demand times. And so again, wind, a lot of times the wind resource is strongest at night when we're sleeping. So if you're a wind project, you're thinking I'm going to generate it at night. I want to store it. And then I want to sell it when people are consuming it, when I, when those rates are higher. So that really drives the demand. Project developers trying to boost cash flows, get a better match in terms of power production and sales. You brought up grid, you referred to the Texas stuff. And so grid stability is really on the rise. And so we're seeing more microgrid projects popping up all over the country. Every microgrid needs a battery. And so as microgrids, as grid stability continues to be more important, microgrids and so battery technologies are a key element there. So again, it's an effective tool for optimizing revenue on a renewable energy facility like wind and solar, but it's also an important thing in terms of getting the grid stability. It's not going away. And then people are calling up trying to do standalone, just flat out standalone storage. Even beyond grid stability, there's also the you can uh, reduce your need for peaker plants <laughs> when you're dealing with that. So there's storage is definitely one of those technologies that uh, is only getting uh, better and better and has so much uh, value across the broad range of energy needs uh, in America. So if a developer is coming to you with questions about storage, what are they normally wanting to know? And maybe if say I'm a solar developer or I'm a wind developer, what are some of the questions that I'm coming to you with and, and some of the services you're providing? So the first question they ask is, how do I get this to qualify for the tax credit? And so the short answer there is the battery needs to be part of a new facility. 
Okay, so not a retrofit, but a new facility and not a standalone facility. And then in addition to that, at least 75% of the power that's stored needs to come from qualified sources like wind and solar. Said differently, no more than 25% of the stored energy can come from referred to as like brown power or fossil fuel. This is just so far less. No, this is existing law. Correct. Not what could be coming. No, that's existing. That's as, as it stands right now. This isn't, a, this isn't a sort of perceived change that's coming. This is now. It's not speculation. This is how, as the rules work currently. And so that's an analysis that needs to get done. The interesting thing there is how do you prove it? How do you prove the amount of power that came from the facility versus the grid? And so usually most investors will want the project engineer or an independent engineer to assist in helping a sponsor prove the amount of power that's coming from the facility versus the grid. So that's the first question. The other question is, all right, what is the cash flow stream going to look like? And the thing I want developers to know about there is modeling out battery production and release of power for sales is not a back of the envelope kind of exercise. It's a very careful, comprehensive analysis. It's not something that you do in hours or days, but can take sometimes days or weeks. It's careful. It's a careful, nitty gritty, very detailed analysis. So it's a lead time item. So this has been very helpful. I appreciate all the information that you've shared. We've covered a lot of ground uh, in today's podcast. In today's show notes, I will provide a link to my column, which was once again, six tips for renewable energy uh, developed. I'll also provide in the show notes, a link to register for the Renewable Energy Cash Flow Conference later this week. You can also uh, skip the show notes and just Google Novogratic Renewable Energy Tax Credits 2021 DC or something close to that, and you'll find it on the web. And if you can't make it to Washington DC, I do encourage you at a minimum to register for and participate virtually, and you can end up uh, reviewing them after the conference is over. So there's lots of virtual options. And if you attend in person, you get access to the virtual conference as well. So Tony, I'm sure some of our listeners are going to want to reach out to you. So if you could provide your email address for them. Yeah, no, that'd be great. So please reach out to T-O-N-Y dot G-R-A-P-P-O-N-E at Novoco, N-O-V-O-C-O.com. That's Tony.Graponi at Novoco.com. Please find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you as well. And I'd love to hear from you. And so, and again, if you go into the conference, I look forward to seeing you in person. So uh, thank you, Tony. And please do stay online for our off mic section, where our segment where you can share some non-tax credit related advice uh, for our listeners. And to our listeners, please be sure to tune into next week's podcast. My guest will be my partner, John Shreddy. We're going to discuss some common issues that newcomers face in the opportunity zones world, how to navigate them. John will also have some tips and we'll share some details from the latest update of the Novogratic Opportunity Funds list, which reflects how the Opportunity Zones market is developing on a capital raising front. If you're a newcomer interested in the Opportunity Zones incentive or just want to hear the latest happenings in that space, be sure to tune in. Now, you can make sure that you're notified of that episode and each week's episode by following or subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast. Go to www.novoco.com podcast to subscribe to and stream the show on our website. You can also follow or subscribe to Tax Credit Tuesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Radio Public. Now, I'm pleased to reach our off-mic segment, where listeners can get some non-tax-related advice uh, and words of wisdom from our podcast guests. 
Uh, so Tony, let me uh, start uh, with a question I'd like to ask of our guests, and that's your favorite podcast, and not your favorite tax credit podcast that you've already demonstrated what that one is. <laughs> but what's your favorite podcast, uh, and why do you like it? So I don't listen to a lot of podcasts out there, but this one that I really enjoy, part, you know, it's a bit personal and work-related, so it has benefits both. It's called Rick Barker's Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. And it focuses on tips for the music industry, but the tips have broader sort of benefits to all industries. And really the purpose of that podcast is where Rick Barker, who's Taylor Swift's former manager, he provides tips on ways that you can increase your visibility with clients and, 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 and intended okay. clients and tips on ways to communicate messages really quickly, really clearly. So well, obviously, right? <laughs> so one of his big tips is just staying in front, just more is more in terms of, and some of the things are things that, that you've demonstrated to before in the past, where it's trying to find a way on a routine basis where your audience knows that they can expect to hear something new from you. So right. whether it's a LinkedIn blurb, they know every Tuesday, it's the Mike Novogratik podcast. So they can count on that. So that's one of his tips is making sure you stay in front of people regularly in a way that they can predict. I don't know what time of the week you want to get in front of them, but find a time that you consistently get in front of them that they can get used to hearing from you. No, that's a great tip. So speaking of tips, what's the best professional advice that you've ever received, or at least one of them, because it's pretty hard to pick the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the biggest trick there. What is the best professional advice I've ever received? So I like this tip that I got many years ago, is manage your weaknesses, but perfect your strengths. The idea there is you're never going to turn your weakness into your strength, but manage it so that it doesn't become your Achilles heel, but also recognize that you're going to score the most points with your strengths. So manage your weaknesses, but perfect your strengths. So you're saying that Steph Curry should not focus on rebounding. <laughs> uh, he should uh, focus on that three-point shot and Shaquille O'Neal shouldn't start Focusing on uh, three-pointers. Yeah, that's right. That's Focus right. on on the rebounds and scoring yeah. close. Yeah, that's right. Focus on the boards. He's a big guy. Stay down there under the boards. Let Steph Curry handle the, the, those long-distance threes. No, I, I really <laughs> like that too because, uh, yeah, really focus on your strengths. I like that a lot. And managing the weaknesses makes sense too. So let's, my the third area that I'll uh, get some uh, tips from you, or at least, at least one tip, uh, and then I'll let you go. From a time management perspective, do you have a, a best one or two time management tips to share? So I find that when I prepare for my day, that that can sort of lead to the most successful day and some time savings. And so what I mean by that is I like to either the night before or the morning of, I like to map out my day. And in doing that, I like to try to set deadlines for certain important tasks, prioritize certain to-dos. And I find that when I do that, I spend less time on unnecessary things and I do the more important things more efficiently. And so by investing a little bit of time at the beginning of the day to map it out, I find that I actually save time overall. No, that's uh, good advice. It can be hard in the course of a day uh, to manage and minimize the, the time hogs that you sit back at the end of the day saying, well, that part of the day wasn't very productive. Right. Uh, planning at the beginning of the day can help 
uh, alleviate or minimize those usage to, to free up your time to do something that is more rewarding. That's right. So I like to think about like just one more point of that. Life yeah. tends to be a bit of a deadline driven business, right? And oftentimes we work really quickly and efficiently when we're when we've got a certain deadline around. And so I find that if you create a deadline yes. within your day, it can help bring some efficiency to every day. And that kind of brings us full circle to the release of the Build Back Better framework last week. Uh, I'm going to be leaving the country, so that's my deadline to have a plan. <laughs> so what's the magic of the plane leaving? <laughs> I don't know, right? Uh, yeah. There's no magic to that deadline, but President Biden did create a deadline. <laughs> they yeah. did get the framework out by the deadline. So, uh, And that next deadline is December 3rd. Which is, which is why maybe this reconciliation bill can't get done before Thanksgiving. But on that optimistic note, <laughs> thank you again for joining us on the podcast, Tony. Same. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.